So thing. therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. I don't think he performed any miracles. I don't think he was built, born of a virgin. And I don't think he thought he was the son of God. Can you perform miracles? Sure. How about this? Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. The one priority in the church ought to be Jesus. Can I get a witness? We meant more to kids than Jesus did, or religion at that time. Now I got called Jesus freak and Jesus boy and, you know, all kind of stuff. A year or so ago, I was out in Colorado visiting a couple of my kids. One day, I went out for a run along the South Platte River through some parkland that ran nearby their home. It was a beautiful day. My run got off to a great start. I was keeping an eye on my watch to see how the mile-high altitude was affecting my pace. I was admiring the scenery, the winding river, the wildlife, the Rocky Mountains off in the distance. And as usual, I was letting my mind wander thinking about some upcoming sermon series or something like that. As I came around to bend in the path, I saw a couple of women standing beside the trail, and they were handing out flyers. Now, I was not interested and wasn't about to break my stride or my concentration, but they shoved one in front of me, so I had to grab it. As I ran along, I gave it a quick glance and uh, had a picture of a young man on it, 20-something, and it told us basically that he was lost. He'd gone out for a run the night before and hadn't come back, and would we keep our eyes open for him? Well, at that point, I had to stop for a moment, and I, I quickly offered a, a prayer for that young man, young man that he might get found, and started on my way again, but it was still kind of bothering me. So I turned around and ran back to where the women were and asked them to tell me a little bit more. They explained that he had suffered a, a brain injury a while ago, and so he sometimes got uh, disoriented, didn't know where he was or what was happening. It had been a cold night the night before. He only had his running clothes on, and so they were worried about him. I told him I would certainly keep an eye open and even suggested and offered to, to pray right then and there for him, which, which we did. So then I continued on my run, and suddenly everything felt different. I wasn't admiring the scenery anymore. My eyes were scanning the, the riverbank and the, and the bushes and the forests in the distance, looking for any sign of him or any, listening for any sound of movement. I wasn't thinking about my sermon anymore. I was praying and imagining some of the scenarios that might have been unfolding. My pace didn't matter anymore. And I often left the trail to search some bushes or trees along the riverbank. I wasn't just out for a run anymore. I was on a mission. Someone was lost and needed to be found, and that changed everything. Well, this year we are all about rediscovering Jesus. And last year we began by, uh, last week we began by asking the age-old question, who is this man? We reminded ourselves that Jesus is without a doubt the most provocative figure in human history. His, his brief appearance on this planet splits time in two. His life and his teachings were so profound, so, uh, so beautiful, so disturbing they demand some kind of response. 
We, we can stand and worship. We can sit down and try to figure it all out. Uh, sometimes we want to turn and run in the other direction because what he's asking is so profound and searching. The one thing we can't do is ignore him or put him in a box. He's the inescapable man. No matter how long you've been following him or how long you've been avoiding him, he keeps on showing up and he keeps on disturbing our peace. So we're going to spend a whole year and survey the whole Bible, not just rediscovering Jesus, but reorienting our lives and our church around him. And whoever you are, whether you're a longtime follower or a recently curious seeker, we're happy for you to join this journey with us. So we're taking a few weeks to kind of set the, set the series up. So last week we asked, who is this man? This week we'll ask a related question, why did he come? What was his life all about? Now actually it's not a very hard question to answer because he gives hints all along the way like in the stories we read earlier of a lost coin and a lost sheep. But one day on the road through Jericho, he made it absolutely clear. It's one of the most uh, vivid little stories in the Gospels. We meet one of the most interesting characters in the Gospel, and it leaves us with no doubt about Jesus' mission or ours. So let's look at it together. It's found in Luke chapter 19, and uh, we'll walk through the story, verses 1 through 10, and make some observations along the way. Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now we're told that Jesus was passing through Jericho. But understand that Jesus is passing through Jericho the way Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton passed through Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> and they're making a statement. They are signaling their intention. Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem. He's going there to suffer and die for the sins of the world. He's tried to explain that to his followers. They're having a hard time putting it all together. So he's still looking for ways to deliver that message, to clarify things for them. As he passes through Jerusalem, through Jericho, that's on his mind. Now, there's no press corps around taking pictures, but everybody is watching him. He knows they are parsing every word. They're interpreting every action. We're also told that a man named Zacchaeus is there, living and doing business in Jericho. And he turns out to be a pretty interesting figure. He's a tax collector, first of all. Now, we won't take time to go into all the detail about that, as most of us have, have heard. Um, in the eyes of most people, a tax collector was the worst kind of sinner. Not only was he crooked and greedy and irreligious, he had made his fortune on the backs of working-class people. He had ratted out his own people, his fellow Jews, squealing on them to the Romans in order to make money for himself and put Israel's money in Rome's coffers. He was a traitor. And so good people, church people in particular, wanted nothing to do with Zacchaeus. Now having said all that, there's nothing to say that Zacchaeus was an unhappy guy. I mean, after all, he's got a few things going for him. He's got a pretty good career going. He's at the top of his game. 
chief tax collector in a prominent city. He's wealthy. And as the saying goes, money isn't everything, but it sure comes close. Okay? It can solve a lot of problems. He's got friends, as people with money typically do. And apparently he goes, lots, goes to lots of rowdy parties. So Zacchaeus is not miserable. He's chosen a life for himself, and it's working pretty well. But when he hears that this rabbi and miracle worker named Jesus is coming through town, he decides he has to go out and see him. In fact, he's so determined to see him, he's willing to embarrass himself and inconvenience himself just for a chance to get a glimpse of him. When was the last time you climbed a tree in public to do anything? That's how desperate Zacchaeus was to meet Jesus. So now why is that? Why is this irreverent, irreligious man suddenly so interested in a person like Jesus? Well, we're not told. Something must have been going on. Maybe he was suddenly feeling uncomfortable with his line of work and his ill-gotten gains. Maybe he or someone he loved was sick and he was hoping that Jesus could help. Maybe one of his tax-collecting cronies had just gotten religion and told him to check out Jesus. Maybe he just turned 40 and was having some kind of existential crisis. Who am I? Why am I here? Is this all there is? <laughs> I find it interesting that he climbed a tree. I know he was short and he needed to see and all that, but one of the things you do when you're lost is you climb a tree to try to see the big picture. Get a little perspective. Find out where you are. I think Zacchaeus is feeling just a little bit lost for one reason or another. And he thinks Jesus might be able to help him. Now, I won't belabor the point because it's fairly obvious, but I think we all feel like Zacchaeus from time to time, a little bit lost. Not unhappy, not miserable, not necessarily even in trouble, but just like we might be missing something, like we're not sure exactly who we are, where we're going, or what it's all about. And sometimes that happens at critical moments in life's journey. Times of change, we, we move to a new home or a new part of the country or maybe to a new country entirely. Maybe we get a new job or we lose a job. We, we welcome a, a, a new baby into the home or we send our last baby off to college. Things change, things happen, and we begin to wonder. And maybe some of us are feeling a little bit lost right now. Let's get on with the story, picking it up at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So here's Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die. He's going to stand trial, be tortured, die a shameless and excruciating, a shameful and excruciating death. The worst possible things that can happen to a human being are about to happen to him. And yet, he notices a strange little man up in the tree. You know why? Because he was looking for him. Now, I don't think he was looking for Zacchaeus in particular. I don't think he had an item on his to-do list that day, find Zacchaeus up a tree. I don't think so. 
I think it's just the way Jesus went through every one of his days. Looking, listening for people. People who might be feeling just a little bit lost. We're told that Jesus called them by name. Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. <laughs> You've been to Sunday school, I can tell. Now, how did he know Zacchaeus' name? Well, maybe it was supernatural. Maybe every human being's name is, was hardwired into Jesus' brain. I don't really think so. Maybe the Holy Spirit whispered into, into his ear like a, like a presidential aide in a rope line. This is so-and-so. I don't think so. I, I think it was a lot more ordinary than that. I think Jesus overheard the conversation in the street that day. I mean, a tax collector up a tree was likely to generate some conversation. And I think pe Jesus heard the buzz. I think some elbows are being thrown and some fingers are being pointed. Jesus pretty quickly picked up on who this guy was and what his life was all about and how people thought about him. And so he said, hey, this is the moment, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Now let's just pause again for a minute. Do we go through life like that? Looking and listening and paying attention to the people and the opportunities around us? When we ride the bus or the train, when we run errands around town, when we walk through the neighborhood, when we stand in line and stand on the sidelines of a game, when we hang around the break room at work, are we looking? Are we listening? Are we watching for pivotal moments in people's lives? Is it possible there are people like Zacchaeus all around us? People asking questions, wondering what life is all about, dealing with some transitional point in their life, and wondering if someone might show them the way. Now, they're probably not going to announce it. They're probably hiding in some kind of a tree somewhere. But if we look and listen and pay attention, we might be surprised to find some really interesting people in our lives who would really love to have a meaningful conversation. So he calls Zacchaeus by name. It's one of the only times that Jesus calls a stranger by name. So why does he do that? Well, a couple of reasons, I think. I think for one, he wanted Zacchaeus to know that he, know, he knew who he was and what his life was all about, but he liked him anyway. And I think he wanted the crowd, especially the religious people in the crowd, he wanted them to know that he knew who Zacchaeus was and what his life was all about, but he liked him anyway. Because these people were all watching to see how Jesus would respond to a known sinner. And then Jesus does something even more amazing. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Now that's not just bad manners, that's bad theology. At least according to the religious people at the time. I mean, to eat with someone, to enter their home, sit at their table, break bread and share it around the table, well, that communicates acceptance. Acceptance. How could this rabbi, how could this holy man who claimed to represent God, how could he communicate acceptance to a sinner like that? Now, at this point, they're more offended with Jesus than they are with Zacchaeus. I'm not sure why it is, but sometimes Christians, we feel as though it's our job to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. I mean, someone needs to tell them they're sinners. Might as well be us, right? I don't know why that is. 
We're, we're afraid that uh, they might think we approve of their, of, of their behavior or their language or their relationships if we don't say something. Jesus didn't seem to worry about that. He doesn't say to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, I'd love to come to your house, but I don't want you to think I approve of thievery and extortion. I think Zacchaeus pretty much knew how Jesus felt about how he was living. And I think Jesus was willing to be misunderstood in order to build a relationship. I'm going to say that again. I think Jesus was willing to be misunderstood in order to communicate to someone that he loved them. I went back and looked at Jesus' other encounters with notoriously sinful people. The woman at the well who'd had five husbands and now was living with a man she was not married to. Another woman who was caught in the act of adultery. A rich, young ruler who didn't want to part with his money. A prostitute who crashes a dinner party and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. Jesus never points out their sin. At least not at the beginning of the relationship. He always leads with welcome. He always begins with grace. Now, sometimes he eventually reaches a point where he confronts that aspect of their life that's out of order. But only after they know without a doubt that he loves them the way they are, that he delights in their friendship and who they are. And oftentimes, it turns out, he never even has to bring up their sinfulness. They just sort of get it. After hanging around with him for a while, after getting a glimpse of what life can be like, of what a human being can be like, they suddenly want to live and be different than they were. And that's what seems to have happened here. Let's pick it up at verse 9. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now, we're not told what they talked about over dinner. It is possible that Jesus called him out for his sinful behavior, but I don't think so. The whole atmosphere of this story is an atmosphere of welcome and joy and gladness and wonder. And interestingly, turns out there's nothing in Old Testament law, there was nothing in the religious practice of the day that would require fourfold restitution or giving away half of your money. It's not likely this would have been something Jesus asked Zacchaeus to do. It seemed like something Zacchaeus wanted to do. I think the experience of being in Jesus' presence was enough to awaken something good and deep and true inside Zacchaeus. And he just stood up and said, this is what I'm going to do. There's a legendary account of Zacchaeus. Kind of tries to imaginatively fill in some details that uh, Luke doesn't bother to tell us. And in this imaginary account, at the end of dinner, after Zacchaeus makes his announcement, Jesus turns to him and asks him what made him do that. And the tax collector says to Jesus, Master, 
when you looked at me, I saw mirrored in your eyes the Zacchaeus I was meant to be. Now, do we do that for people? Do we look at people long enough and closely enough to see the image of God in them? To see the remarkable skill that God has given them? To appreciate their remarkable intellect? The beauty of their face or their spirit? The compassion or courage they demonstrate? Do we look at them long enough to recognize that? Do we look at them with enough hope and love and grace that it calls it out of them? That, that they want to be and live all that they were meant to be and to do? Well, that's, that's when Jesus decides to declare his intention. That's when he announces to the world why he came. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Remember, Jesus is not just out for a stroll through Jericho. He's, he's making a statement telling us why he came. And he didn't come to heal some sick people and cast out some demons, even though those are good things to do. He didn't come to offer a few helpful hints for living a meaningful life. He didn't come to throw out the Romans and bring in a new government. Jesus came to find lost people and show them the way home. He came to find lost people and show them the way home. But the fact is, Jesus isn't here anymore to do that. He's not here to walk the streets and have dinner with people and call them by name and show them what life can be like. And so he asks us to do that for him. He asks us to go through life the way he went through life, with our eyes and ears and hearts wide open to the people and opportunities that are unfolding all around us. He asks us to be looking for people like Zacchaeus who for one reason or another are feeling a little bit lost, a little bit curious. Not miserable, but not fully satisfied. Living a life, but not quite the life they'd like to live. Jesus came to find lost people and show them the way home. And now he asks us to do the same. And so as we set out on this year of rediscovering Jesus, it's not just about learning more about Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. It's about introducing Jesus to people who, who may not have ever encountered him before in a meaningful way. People who may have mistaken notions about him. People who've never even considered him before. People who may have gotten the wrong impression of Jesus because some church or Christians have misrepresented him, people who for one reason or another are feeling just a little bit lost, Jesus asks us to find lost people and show them the way home. Now, I'm going to finish up in just a minute, but before I do, I'd like you to hear another story of, a, of another man who was curious about Jesus. Now, he didn't climb a tree to get a glimpse of him, but he did something that for him was just about as awkward he came to church. I'm going to ask Charlie if he'll come join me on the platform a minute. Would you welcome Charlie as he comes to share a little bit of his story? Morning, Pastor. 
Thanks, Thanks, sir. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Charlie, just take a minute, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and maybe a little bit about your uh, spiritual background. Um, I'm in uh, law enforcement, been there for 33 years locally, um, attended a church about 20 minutes north of here, uh, forced march through all the sacraments, maybe like a few others out there, and uh, just was told you're going to go on Sunday, and that's what it was going to be. Uh-huh. Okay. And then somewhere along, and then after that, it seems like you kind of walked away from church for a I, while? or I suffered a little personal tragedy. My brother was killed, my younger brother was killed uh, back in 1981, and from then on, I had just written the church off. Just wrote it all off. Wrote okay. it all off. All right, but then something happened a year or two ago that suddenly you got curious again. What was that all about? Um, they're talking to uh, my girlfriend and I were talking about attending church and being reconnected, you know, to a church. And um, she found Grace Chapel. And we decided that, uh, I said, yeah, I'll kill an hour and come and see what's up. <laughs> um, so we came here in uh, about two years ago, November, and uh, sat right over there, walked in, and um, I'll never forget it, up on the screens, you had an uh, excerpt you were playing from the movie Save It Private Ryan, and it was about the mission. And um, I'm sitting here in this beautiful place and looking around, and I just turned to Jayanne and I said, like, Dorothy, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. I didn't know what this place was. So it's not church the way you remembered it? It was not church the way I remember it. <laughs> no, okay. I was intrigued. Okay. But still just came every Sunday and would leave, and that was about the end of it. Still real no spiritual connection. Yeah, and I think I talked to you one of those early Sundays in the lobby and was, you were excited and positive and, hey, this isn't so bad after all. But I, I, I was, but as soon as I walked out it. those doors, that was pretty much the end of it, Pastor. Okay, but, but something happened more powerfully than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was good for that hour, and then when I left, yeah, it was yeah. over. But uh, yeah, till I ha- came that, back that the happens. following week. That happens, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, went through a little bit of personal trauma back in January, and uh, as a result, uh, I didn't like where I was going. I didn't like where I was heading. Um, and I just wasn't feeling good about myself. And I knew I wanted something, but I didn't know what it was. And so I reached out to uh, Pastor Ennis here at the church, and I met him on a Wednesday afternoon, and got done talking to him after, you know, about 4 o'clock, and really confused and uh, upset. I was broken. I was crushed. I was at the lowest of lows. And he said, I know what you need, and I want you to go to Alpha. And I said... What's Alpha? And he said, well, you're about to find out because you're going tonight. <laughs> so in my car, I'm driving down uh, 128, and I'm going to Watertown, mm-hmm. and uh, proceeded to do that from January on. Okay. And something happened at Alpha? Things came together for you? It, it did. It was well, the first week. You know, I went to the first week, and I'm listening. I was intrigued, and again, I was looking for something, and second week, it was good, and so I decided to go back for a third week, and I believe it was the third week, and... Um, we were watching um, A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It was up on the video screen. And he was talking about, I wanted to hear evidence. Evidence does exist. And he said exactly that. He said, there was hundreds of people that saw Jesus Christ in the flesh after the resurrection. And I sat there and it just resonated me. I go, that's it. I'm in. I, I said, that's it. I said, one person can keep a story, two people, maybe a lie, three or more, forget it. Uh-huh, right. So for hundreds of people to say this happened, that's all I needed to hear. Okay, very cool. And then, then, and then, uh... mm-hmm. 
the whole journey kind of came to a pretty pivotal moment at our One Church Sunday last year. It spring. did. It did. I um, received a call from a good friend of mine who's over at East Lexington and has attended Grace for a long time. And uh, we're talking, I think it was the Friday, it was a Saturday night before One Grace Sunday. And he says, uh, you know, if, are you coming? And I said, sure, I would love to. Yeah, I'm going to be there. And he says, well, why don't you sit with my wife and I and the kids? And I said, great. So we set up a time to meet. And he says, but I'm going to be in and out of my seat. And I said, okay. I said, what are, you, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm helping out with Pastor Brian with the baptisms. And I go, baptisms? What are you, you going to do with children? What are you talking about, baptisms? And he says, no, adult baptisms. People are going to be baptized there. And Pastor Brian's going to do a shout out. And he said to me, uh, are you ready? And I said, oh, I don't know. And I said, you know, I said, 4,000, 5,000 people, I don't know. And the more we talked about it, it was the next step. I needed that. And it was the next step of my journey. And I was all in. And I showed up with my knapsack and my towel. And off we went. Got it done. Got right? it done. Got it done. <laughs> Got it done. <laughs> so, okay. Well, there's more to the story. I'll just give you one more chance. Anything else you want to say, Charlie, before uh, I just, I'm forever grateful for, I think I'm grateful for being broken and being at a low point and then coming to this church and having the opportunity to go to Alpha um, has given me awareness, humility, and unselfishness that I never thought existed before. And I'm going to be forever grateful to this Alpha program and to this church. Amen. Well, hey, thanks Amen. a lot, Charlie. Thank, Thank you, you Pastor. Much. You can't help but wonder how many Charlies or Zacchaeuses are out there sitting in the trees, trying to figure things out and get some perspective, hoping someone will come along and show them the way home. That day on the South Platte River, the knowledge that there was a lost person out there changed everything. I was no longer just out for a run. I was on a mission. And it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about my pace or my frame of mind or my wandering thoughts. It was about finding that young man, looking and listening for any sign of him. And that's how it is for us when we accept the mission of Jesus. We're not just riding the bus or the train or the carpool every day. We're looking and listening for people and opportunities. We're not just selling widgets or taking classes or raising children. We are showing people what work and school and, and family can look like. Came across a website that lists dozens and dozens of ways to live on mission. Go to public places to do your work, coffee houses and libraries and just hang around. Be a regular at the dry cleaner or the barber shop or the little restaurant around the corner so you get to know people. Volunteer in the community. Now, many of us know about volunteering at church, which you want to keep on doing. <laughs> but how about volunteering in the community as well and being part of what's going on there? Cook a meal for someone in a time of transition or need. Walk instead of drive. You never know who you're going to meet along the way. Throw a block party. Go out of your way to strike up conversation. Ask people questions. Play in a recreation league. Carry a great big Bible. No, that's not really 
not one of them. You get the idea. Are we willing to live differently in order to find lost people? And here at church, it's not about us anymore. It can't be. It's not about singing the songs we like and connecting with the people we already know and hearing sermons about stuff that only we care about. There are places to study and explore and do all those kinds of things. But this is about creating and welcoming environments that meet people where they are, that speak to the deep longings of our hearts and resonate with our culture. I'm going to say that again. This is about creating welcoming environments that meet people where they are, that speak to the deep longings of our hearts in ways that resonate with our culture. Are we willing to do church differently in order that lost people might be found? As we make our way through this year, discovering and rediscovering Jesus, let's keep our eyes and ears open for people who might want to make the journey with us. Let's invite folks to take a closer look. Let's invest in, in getting to know people, our friends and neighbors, relationships, co-workers, acquaintances. Let's, let's enjoy them. Let's serve them. Let's hear their stories. And when the time is right, let's invite them to take a closer look. Invite them to church any Sunday. It's going to be about Jesus every single week. And so it's easy to invite them. We created that little invitation card. Give it away and come back next week and get five more of them. Invite them to Alpha. It occurred to me, Alpha is like a Zacchaeus party. It's dinner with really interesting people where you talk about important things and remarkable stuff happens. Come to Alpha. Maybe you're here today because someone invited you. Maybe you're here because you're suddenly curious about spiritual things. Maybe you're at a kind of a lost or disoriented or transitional point in your life. We're thrilled you're here. Make the journey with us. We all feel lost once in a while. We all have things we want to learn more about Jesus. And if you, if you want to kind of watch from a distance, you don't have to climb a tree. You can sit in the back row. You can wear dark glasses. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. If you want to take a closer look, then come to Alpha. It's going to start up soon. Monday nights in Wilmington, Thursday night, Sunday morning uh, in Lexington. So as we head out into another week and another year, let's keep our eyes and ears and hearts wide open to whoever we might encounter. Because you never know when you're going to find someone sitting up in a tree waiting for someone to show them the way home. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this vivid and remarkable story, one that comes alive for us, having taken place in an ancient world very different from our own and yet speaking so powerfully to our own lives and circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for finding us, us in our various stages of lostness, thank you for pouring grace and love and welcome into our lives. Thank you for the opportunity we have to extend that to others. Lord, I pray for every person who's here and listening this morning, that wherever we might be on our journey, we might have open hearts to hear from you. And pray, Lord, that we might become the kind of people, become the kind of a church that show people the way home. In Jesus' name. Amen.